This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Tom. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies, from first-time directors, indie, art house, and much more. Go check us out at www.tameaperture.com for previous episodes and to make suggestions on future episodes. Today on the podcast, we talk Eraserhead. This surreal nightmare examines male paranoia. Our hero and title character, Henry, faces a number of horrifying obstacles in meeting someone of the opposite sex, meeting her parents, and procreating. Produced during a one and a half year period, while director David Lynch was still a student at the American Film Institute, the film launched him as a major new talent admired by cinephiles and filmmakers from all over the world. It stands today as a milestone in personal independent filmmaking. The film runs 89 minutes and got a wide release in the beginning of 1977. I'm Gabe Bienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined today by Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Once again, Alan, how the hell are you? My mind is blown. My mind is blown after seeing this movie. No pun intended. Yeah, no, none, none. It's, I just am like, I've never seen it. Um, Obviously, I know of it, and I've seen lots of people talk about it over the years, and it's even weirder than I expected. Way weirder than I expected. There's, I feel like there's not a lot of, ways to explain the film because it can probably p- be personalized in so many right. different ways and we're all going to subjectively have our opinion on it right i think so too in our interpretation but i think weird is a good word <laughs> i think yeah i mean it's it's it there's a there's definitely a story though it's not so uh abstract that it gets lost in itself like it's still there's a story to it. There's something there. There's, I'll, I'll give it that. For sure. And I, I think I, a lot of it I understand, or at least I think I do, but a lot of it is still lost on me. And I even, after, like, when, I, when while I was watching it, I didn't like it at all. I liked the imagery. I liked the setting. I liked a lot of the stuff in it, but I also thought it was so boring at times and yeah. very, very slow. But once I stopped and I started thinking about it more, I got so intrigued that I started like looking up videos about it and reading articles about it. And it just the whole thing is just bizarre. The the strangest thing to me though is that so many people, really res- well respected directors and filmmakers, credit this is their favorite movie. Yeah, a lot of them really have a, a lot of great things to say about the film. One of my favorite filmmakers. Kubrick. Kubrick, apparently, in in the research, like you're noting, said this is it. Oh, this is one of my. This is my top. Yeah, it's so, crazy. You know, Terrence Malick too. Terrence Malick. Um, he tried to get funding when the funding fell through. Even in a contrast contrasty type way, Mel Brooks. Yeah. Right. Weird. And the follow up film. To erase her head for David Lynch is a Mel Brooks produced film. Isn't that crazy? Called The Elephant Man. I, I didn't know that The Elephant Man was produced by Mel Brooks. Had no idea. So, yeah, all these great filmmakers in cinema history love this movie. 
but it's not even that. Like, just going through scouring the internet for content about this movie, people love this fucking thing. People love it. They are, and I don't, like, it's, I don't get that. I, I guess I, 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 I understand the appreciation, and I, I, I think it definitely captures the imagination because there's so much there to digest afterwards and even while you're watching it. And I imagine this is the kind of movie that you could watch over and over again and get something new out of it every time. Yeah. But to elevate it as your favorite movie, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Before we dive too, more, too, too, too deeply into the film, let me ask you quickly about your overall impression of Lynch in general. Have you seen other films of his or his series, his TV series, something like Twin Peaks? Uh, what are the impressions on Lynch? Uh, where, where do you sit on that? Um, I, I'm actually more familiar with Lynch as an actor mm. than, uh, than really his film catalog, unfortunately. I've seen Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. That one, I mean, it just it just gets more and more bizarre with him. And Twin Peaks, so Twin Peaks is a show that seems right up my alley. Yeah. And I he, was going to say, I thought, because I actually really love Twin Peaks. Right. And about a year ago during the summer, while my kids were with the grandparents for a week, I rewatched Twin Peaks, yeah. season one and two, and I loved it. Again. Well, here's the thing for me, I'm, and I'm going to look it up right now to see how far I've got, because I've tried to watch Twin Peaks multiple times. And every time, I can't get past like the third or fourth episode. Let's see. So I've got I've it, got to the fourth episode, and then I just can't get past it. It starts out slow, but I think that's fair to say for most of his work, because the first true, true. minute of this film of Eraserhead is a superimposition, right? Of a guy what appears to almost be. He's horizontal to the camera frame and floating in space or somewhere. Right. Superimposed with a weird creature-like ball. <laughs> I don't well, know. What it, it was is. was that the planet? Was that the Well, cuz there's a guy credited as the man in the planet. I'm going to preface this podcast by saying I have thoughts and I know you do too and we have opinions about what it is and what it means. At the same time, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to come across as though the impression is, well, let me tell you what this is. Um, I don't know if I would trust anyone that did that. There, there's, you know, there's people oh, out on the web that of are course. like, well, I'm going to break this down for right. you. Right. Think how many theses, what's the plural oh, thesis? Yeah. Uh, whatever that is. I don't know. Theses, I teach we'll college. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's, how many uh, theses do you think were written, have been written about this? Oh, for a few. People breaking the shit down. Um, yeah. I mean, hundreds. Yeah, totally. Hundreds. Totally. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Even the first scene, it's so long. I'm kind of just like, what, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we establishing? Right. right. Why does it drag on that long? That's, and that's the thing is this isn't like some other movies we've watched where it just drags on for it feels like no reason it feels like there's a a purpose behind the slowness of it at times knowing lynch at least from watching different interviews and of course watching some of his film catalog his work and not it has intent Mm -hmm. even if he doesn't understand right right he's an artist in that way and you know one of the things is on this podcast we talk about we're first time directors, which this is his first film. But we also say indie and art house. Mm-hmm. And this definitely falls in that experiment. There's all three of them. There's all three of them. Yeah. But more so than the others, I think that we've covered, this falls into the art house category. 
Lynch is an artist. No doubt. Visual no imagery doubt. artist. No doubt. I can't create this world. This is not a world I could create as a filmmaker, as someone putting together a story. It's confusing. It's abstract. It's eccentric. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's well built. And what I mean is initially, once you get past that first scene where we see the superimposition, it's him in an industrialized world. It, yeah. It, it's just, it feels that way. It feels almost apocalyptic in a way without being steampunk, crazy in your face. There's nothing natural in this world. It doesn't feel natural. Let me ask you this. Because this is, and I did this unintentionally. This is the third. This is a Janus Films Criterion Collection. I didn't realize that when I picked it. Oh, really? No. And it's a, it's a black and white film. Yeah. So, what were your first thoughts on pretentious film? There? Well, okay, it, this is a little bit different because this this movie's a little notorious. Like it's got a reputation, even if you haven't seen it, which I hadn't. I still kind of understood the world that lynch lives in in his head yeah and the kind of stuff that he likes to do well we literally and and that's funny you say it that way because this film is just a movie about what's in his head it's bizarre and the most bizarre thing about this whole thing is that this launched his career and he's so abstract and art house but he's mainstream like people he he has a mainstream following everyone loves him everyone loves him he's kind of but that's what he's kind of been branded as right Right. So, but how do you make that? Because normally, if if this is the debut film for anybody, I think most people would see this and be like, "What the fuck is this? Like, this is some pretentious shit. Like, this is some weird art house stuff." And I don't. I would imagine it would be very difficult to make the leap to mainstream popularity. I think it, there's something different sprinkled in on a Lynch film, whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I like. I say I can't even categorize it. I can't go. Well, it's this thing. You know, last week we talked Nolan, and we could kind of categorize. He's very intellectual in his storytelling structure based on different complexities. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be com- complex, right? right? But I'm also going to bring in a sense of reality, right? Lynch films are, I can't describe them. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah. that's how he's done it. Somehow branded himself, sprinkled in whatever he feels as an artist, and somehow it resonates on a larger scale. Well, I also think that. Part of it, the appeal is his personality too, because he is—he's awesome. He is hilarious. I love listening to. That's the thing. Like he's, everybody can go. I love listening to him talk right, or in right. interviews. He is very well aware of his reputation, and he is fine to poke fun at it. Yeah, like he's not some pretentious guy at all. At all, he understands you know the kind of stuff he's making, and he understands how it's perceived. I love him as an actor. Have you ever seen him in Louis? No. Oh, he's fantastic. He has a whole. Uh, I don't want to call it a character arc. It's more a character arc for Louis, but in, in uh, Louis C.K.'s TV show, and I know he's kind of... Yes, uh, I have. I pa- yes. hilarious. Yes. He plays a guy who's trying to groom Louis C.K. into being a talk show host. Yeah, yeah. And he's fantastic. <laughs> he's fantastic. He's, he's the oddball eccentric. He is. He's perfect. I he, love the guy. And he's wearing his, his patented little suit with no tie <laughs> and he's always smoking a cigarette like always and, yeah. and he's got he's got the eraser head hair yeah he, that's the other thing the main character in this film is almost 
an embodiment physically in some sense of himself. For sure. Uh, with the hairstyle. For sure. Or at least what would become to would we would come to know as the hairstyle of Lynch and how he kind of has it poofed up and crazy. <laughs> and just funny, man. I, I love him. Why love is him. it called the racer head? Is it just is it just because the the titular character has he is a ra- he is the racer head well, in the way that he looks I mean and maybe not only in the way that he looks but maybe his haircut not just literally but he I mean his head pops off in this movie and the kid takes it to a pencil factory yeah and it becomes an eraser and it becomes a yeah exactly so I mean even though it's a dream or is it I don't know what the hell it is but maybe quite literally and you know just figure figuratively with the haircut. So, I'll, you know, uh, having not seen uh, a lot of like I became fascinated with this movie and I've been doing this lately with all the podcasts where like I would well have seen these like 16, 17 years ago while mm-hmm. I was an undergraduate student. And I was just basically fascinated by filmmaking. I mean, I still am. But like in this time in my life, mid 20s, early 20s, every single night Every single weekend, I'm just watching films. Yeah, yeah. Like, all the time. And this happened to be one of those, but I haven't watched it since. So it's been 15, 16 years since I've seen the film. But subsequently, I've seen his other work, like I mentioned, Twin Peaks. And I love Mulholland Drive. I don't know what it was that intrigued me about it, but something was there. And so rewatching this, it kind of reinvigorated my interest in Lynch a little bit, even more so. Mm-hmm. And the confusion still stands. I have no idea what's going on in this film. Yeah, I don't either. I, do, I don't either. I mean, I think I have a general idea of what the story is. This long, we'll, we'll walk through it and I'll try to go, maybe not How see are it. you going to walk through this one? Not going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, because, I mean, we've, we've I watched mean, a bunch of stuff that's nonlinear and that's tough to walk through. But this thing's a whole other monster. I don't know how you're going to do it. I, I, I don't envy you. I, 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 we're not going to walk through it. We are, but <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna tackle it the best we can, and then uh, talk about some important scenes, right, or scenes that stand out, right. But that opening scene, like we discussed, I mean, it's a floating brain planet, circular object superimposed over the main character. Mm-hmm. It goes on forever. It literally goes on for th- two or three minutes. It's or at least two minutes. I know that. So it moves into this ball or this thing, and then it takes us into the world. Mm-hmm. So we're it's like three minutes of this slow-moving, very kind of – It there's not a lot going on in the frame. It's right. just a single ball. And then it goes into the world, right? So here we are. We go in. We get in there, and this is – what is is interesting to me, and like we said before, the atmosphere that Lynch creates is amazing. I'm blown away. Like, it doesn't feel real. It's not a world I know, even though it's a world that's familiar. In yeah. the sense, in, and what I mean by that is in, it's familiar things. Okay, a guy with a suit on, normal, doesn't, crazy right. hair, but nothing crazy. Walking down a train track, walking down a side, walking in a, to an apartment complex, walking, like, things that we know but somehow he's portrayed them to be abstract or different yeah and i wonder if there's a little bit of if that familiarity comes from because to me when i'm watching when i'm watching is it henry is that the name mm-hmm. of the character, yeah, the main character when i'm watching henry walk yep. along in all these dingy areas 
it felt a lot like kind of Buster Keaton-y. And it also felt like a little cabinet of Dr. Kiligari. It has. And that's that's one thing I could pull away is like someone who's a film buff and loves the history and the film and like German expressionism. You're mentioning Caligari or, you know, the silent films with with Chaplin or Keaton. It's funny because when he's walking, there is a little bit of that Chaplin waddle. Yeah. Yeah. And the Caligari look, especially in the abstract look of it with the hard lighting. And, the, you know, like 100% agree with you. And especially uh, when he gets into his his apartment building. Yes. Because then even the walls are at an angle a little bit, and they're very high. And it just yeah. reminded me a lot of, of Caligari. 100%. Goes into this scene. Now, then there's this image of a a deformed <laughs> goblin. It's almost Nosferatu. Right, yeah. So then again, yeah. we're yeah. going back to this film history. Right. And he's looking out a window... It's not the main character. Right. It's just some deformed, I want to say he's got spores all over his face right. and long fingernails. It literally feels like Nosferatu. And for those listening, Nosferatu is an old German expressionist mm-hmm. film from the 1920s, silent film. It has that vibe to it. But it this does. Is, it's this guy looking out a window and that's it. Like it just shows him. <laughs> and then it cuts back to Henry who like opens his mouth in awe as a, as though he's watching this guy looking out a window. Right. Then a sperm thing flew. Well, and this is <laughs> This is why this is why it's going to be so fucking hard to cover. There, there is so much I, I know. Wait, I, wait, wait, let me finish the sentence cuz it's going to sound okay, weird to okay. those listening. A sperm thing floats out of Henry's mouth. <laughs> a spermazoid? What do you call Try, it? Alan? Trying to um to describe this on an audio form format is just going to be impossible it's for me i mean this is there's so much sexual imagery in this a lot of sexual imagery you know i saw an interview with lynch and i don't know i can't speak for anyone right but i did see an interview with him it was a quick clip of an interview about mm-hmm. eraser head and he even talks about like him not knowing all the things that everything means and he can't assign a value to everything <laughs> right because right. it just is and like we talked about he's an artist so he goes in and whatever's in his head right. he's going to put out there but he did talk about he was going through the script and and the script was very small it was like 20 30 pages Mm -hmm. so it wasn't even a completed what you would think of as an 80 90 page script some of that inspiration came from him reading the bible interesting so he and, and whatever form that took and as you're watching this first part that we're describing there is an esoteric vibe to it definitely a godlike person looking out a window, Henry, the main character, almost seeing it, and then some kind of procreated sperm coming out mm-hmm. of his... Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's a very abstract way to do it, but it's, but that's there's a vibe of that there. For, oh, for sprinkled sure. Sprinkled in. For sure. Um, he started as a painter, right? He's a... Yeah, he had... I, I don't know all of his history, but there was photography or painting or something to another kind of fine art that we mm-hmm. consider and he was interested in that what i also find interesting about his history is that he's from montana is he really yeah i had no idea he's from missoula how, how does someone and that's this... not a not look that's not a knock on missoula oh no no my my girlfriend jess her whole family's from montana they 100%. live in montana you know that's it's great but how I can't imagine a lot of people like David Lynch are coming out of Montana. It just doesn't seem, 
and I'm going to be a stereo. I'm going to stereotype here. Sure. I think Montana. I think rugged. Yeah. I think cowboy. I think like hard grit. We were just up there in the summer, and that's exactly how it is. I don't think this. This is Not like the exact opposite right. of that. Right. Um, but his history, yeah, he's some kind of. He's into art. He's into poetry. Into those artsy kind of things, like the poetry, the painting, the writing, those kind of things. So that's what. That's okay. What I mean, because a lot and of this painting, is. It, it makes sense. Because I was while I was watching this, I was thinking, how do you even write a script for this? But it makes sense if he just has like a 20 page script or yeah. whatever it is. And then he's kind of just creating the images because if he is a painter or a photographer, that's a good point. That's kind of that's got to be part of his process, because to me, you can't you can't script out a painting, you know, like it just it is what it is. And I'm not a painter, so I don't know. But I can't imagine that you can tell someone and describe exactly what's going to be in this painting. And give it an accurate portrayal until it's done. I think that sums it up for us, at least to move forward, which is like, that's a great analogy. If he has a basic concept framework to go off of, he's going to go with gut instinct. Yeah, yeah. And take that painter intuition and go make a, put it into his imagery. For sure. And how he films. For sure. But this is, and we'll find out later, but this is, this opening scene, that, that's him having sex, right? That's him having an orgasm. I mean, the sperm comes out of his mouth. Yeah. I say the sperm, and for those listening, it's like an alien-like thing that resembles sperm. Right, right. So. But nothing is as it seems in this movie. Like, everything. Because after, and after it gets released, the godlike, deformed creature thing pulls a lever. He pulls it. That's right. That's right. He pulls a lever. And doesn't it splash into a puddle? And then it, yes. And so <laughs> it's an indicator that, you know something's been released right. or formed or now is come. It's like a baby. Right. Exactly. I don't know how to describe <laughs> Well, and, and when you describe it as a sperm thing, that's exactly what everything in this is. It, it's like when you see the baby later, it's a baby thing. You know, the, the girl in the radiator, that, that's a girl thing. Like everything is like exaggerated. It's like everything's a caricature. Yeah. And going back to the artistic side, like everything is just exaggerated. And so I think that opening sequence, which runs for like six, seven, eight minutes, is resembling, like you mentioned, Henry having sex Mm -hmm. and the sperm connecting and then a baby being formed. Right. Right. Yeah. This this comes into play later. But it's very, like you said, it's a very painter-esque way to do that. Definitely. Right? Definitely. In a normal story structure, if we went to a movie now that was released theatrically by some big studio... How would they paint that scene? Well, it would be a guy and a girl either insinuated that they were making love. Right. And then it, and then two weeks later, a phone call like, I'm pregnant. Right. You certainly wouldn't have some abstract. It's not going to be painted this way. No, not at and all. I think that's what I love most about how he's doing this film, which is like, a, it's so uh, different than, than, a, than what, 98% of people are going to imagine in their head painting a scene like this as a filmmaker. Yeah, I agree. I think there's only like 2% of the people in the world that will paint it this way. And he's in that 2%. So I just like it for that reason. But it just goes on too long. That's, that's my It goes problem. on pretty, pretty long. And then it just shows Henry walking around. But this is where it establishes the world. Everything. Yeah, I'm fine with this. This dragging is a little bit. It, it goes, and it's these long shots of him mm-hmm. walking. He's going by complexes and hills and railroad uh, tracks and all this stuff. Stomping and, through mud. Stomping through mud. 
this is it, what I like. What it does do is sets up that the world's very isolated. Even though it's big, you're alone because it never shows another human being right. in these interactions. So I kind of like how he how he establishes this concept of, and it's also like we mentioned, very industrialized. It feels very 1930s, mm-hmm. like industrial. It feels almost like a like a, a land that has just been desolate desolate right it's just desolate i don't know if there's been a war or or a nuclear explosion or what but it just feels empty and isolated and desolate and we talked we said that before it's very in in a, in a different way apocalyptic definitely and again nothing is natural in this place there is nothing natural even even the the ground he's walking on is just muddied and dirt and it's just, it, just everything is just it's man-made yeah everything is man-made yeah it shows him walking. He gets to his apartment, and he checks the mail. He's carrying groceries. It's so very mundane tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are all normal, normally shot, <laughs> right? for lack right. of a better way to describe it. Because we've described the first seven minutes as this elaborate painting right. in some sense. <laughs> right. Whereas the next five minutes is just Henry going about mundane tasks. And for some reason, I, I enjoyed that a little bit. Like it, There's something about his dopey expression and his doofus look when he's just, you know, walking around, just kind of doing his own thing, and we were seeing this world. I kind of enjoyed that a little bit. Yeah, I did too. I, I also it, it resembled for those that are unfamiliar with Lynch's work more, because even though he's pretty big, he's not pop pop culture, right? At the widest scale, and there's resemblance of how this is shot and the feel of how it is. It's got a, for those that are listening, it's like a little bit of a Tim Burtony vibe. Definitely. That's in the way, way that it. in the way that it's the mm-hmm. world is for sure right uh so burton's pulling from him lynch isn't pulling from right. burton like so. the first batman yeah yeah it's got that that vibe he gets in a, this elevator and there are these long shots like lynch is not afraid of long shots Mm-mm. he's n- it shows henry in the elevator for like what seems like forever and he's just looking around his this character by the way is captivating like you may really is he really is i I don't know what it is, if it's his facial expressions. I think that's part of it. It's kind of the physicality of the performance. But he's captivating to watch. He's There's that dopey, innocent boy look, boyish look on his face. Yeah. Just, Uncertainty. Yeah. Just like, what's going on? He doesn't even know. No, he has no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like a child. It really is like a child. And he goes to his apartment, and then this seductress comes out from next door, the, the lady in the next apartment. And she basically tells him that, hey... Uh, um, your girlfriend came by or what is a thought to be his, his girlfriend Mary mm-hmm. came by and she's invited you to dinner and she wants you to come over and he's like oh he's confused totally he doesn't even think because I guess the implication or the idea would be that he doesn't even know that him and Mary are still together nope so he he kind of takes this advice but he's also infatuated with the girl next door so we do uh, we do set this up initially, uh, and this comes into play later. Yep. But we know that Henry's got uh, a sexual interest in in the in the woman next door, and she's credited as across the hall. Really, I, I <laughs> love I love the names of the characters how they're credited um, in this movie because Mary's last name is Mary X. Yeah. Is that? And then her dad is Mr. X. Mr. And, X. And then Mrs. And Mrs. X. Mrs. X. Yeah. Which is interesting because those characters actually had names. True. I think the dad was named Bill or something like that. 
Well, Bill was from the last podcast too. Wasn't he in the? In oh following? yeah, he was. He wasn't following. So, That's right. Um, but but Henry basically gets uh, a little bit of a a little bit of a shock that Mary wants him to come over. Right. So he goes in to his apartment, basically starts uh, getting undressed. And then it gets introduced. This this long shot of him. He throws his sock on the heater vent or the furnace, right? Yeah. And it's basically establishing like Henry's apartment. Like his apartment's very strange, Alan. It's a one room, one room for everything. It's one room for everything, but also inside it, like instead of a lamp on the nightstand, it's a pile of dirt with a dead tree. Which is interesting because, again, nothing in this world is natural. But he's got this. But it is. This is what I'm. This is the weird. This is why it's blowing my mind because he doesn't try to. Like, I look at a dresser, it's a normal dresser. Mm -hmm. I look at a bed, it's a normal bed. I look at the nightstand, the nightstand's a nightstand. Right. But then on the nightstand, it's not a lamp. It's a pile of mound of dirt with a dead tree. Well, and that's why, to me, it's almost like... And by the way, dead vegetation everywhere. Yeah, like dead, dead ve- everywhere. All over. It's almost like this place has this world he lives in, this city or wherever he's at. <clears throat> it's almost like it has been decimated by a bomb or a war or something like that. And it's almost like he's trying to hang on to... Because there's no plants anywhere else in the city or in you know anywhere he goes... It's almost like he's trying to hang on to this past, but these things are all dead. It's it's unnatural. It's devoid of life. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Which is now I'm thinking about. It, there's a bit of uh, contrast there because we just did seven minutes about procreation, right? And then we get into a world that's devoid of life, right? Lynch is fucking blowing my mind. Well, and, and the more the more we're talking about, <laughs> the now, more, this is what we do every time. The, I, I start breaking. I, I start thinking about it, and I go, "Wait a minute, this motherfucker's the he's a badass. He really is." And now, because now I'm forming theories that we're going to get to later, I know, and I I'm know. like, "Holy shit, it's coming Holy together shit. already." Yeah. As we break it down, Lynch blows my mind. It's a long shot of Henry on the bed. He's basically contemplating, like, I think the confusion about being invited to Mary's house because he's once again under the assumption that they're not together. He goes do though here's the other thing. Dead vegetation on top of the drawer, the dresser. He opens the dresser and then inside the dresser a pan of uh full of water. <laughs> I don't I mean water is life. It is life. So it's these constant things of dead and life. Right? Just keep that in mind. It's keep almo- that in mind. It's almost like he's trying to have food on hand for the plant that's dead. It's almost like he doesn't know how to take care of this simple little plant. He doesn't even know how to put, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I think I just figured out the part that was stumping me earlier. Okay, hold on. I won't get there yet. Yeah, you hold on to it. it. Because in the same drawer, dead vegetation on top, water pot in there, but also a ripped. This is the indicator that they're not together. Right. Because there's a ripped picture of Mary. Right. And then he puts the two together and we see the two pieces together. Right. It's her. So obviously they left on quote unquote bad terms. But I do I do want to mention this Go one ahead. thing about the plant. It's like he doesn't know how to take care of it. And like, look, I kill a lot of house plants. That's why I don't have them. So I don't know how to take care of you it just either. Put fake ones in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. See, you're smart. But um, it's like he doesn't even know how to accurately take care of this, the the easiest thing to take care of, which is a house plant. He's got the water, but he doesn't have a pot to put it in. 
and I he doesn't know where you're going. And he doesn't know to put the water in the pot, which will feed the plant. And to that's keep why it the alive. Yes, and that's why the plant's dead. So hold on to yes. this, everybody. Yes. Me and Alan are fucking breaking Razorhead right now. Man. Dude, this is our thesis. <laughs> Give us so a everybody... fucking doctorate in film right now. <laughs> <laughs> the next shot is Mary. She's looking out the window. Very concerned look on her face. And it's cut to now Henry being outside. He's, he's, gone, he's, gone, he's accepted the invitation. She's obviously waiting for or him. She's she, waiting for him. She Sorry. is uh, eagerly awaiting for him to show up. We find out he's late. Because she tells That's him straight right. up. First thing she says, you're late. Because, and I jumped the gun a little there because her looking outside, that shot of her is the concerned look of her, is he coming, is he not? And then it cuts back to Henry walking down this industrialized world on the track. And this is, once again, a Chaplin-esque shot. He's watching. You hear, the other thing about here, and, and you, you being a, an individual who loves sound and sound design, a lot of crazy things uh or a lot of importance placed on the sound. I will say the sound design in this movie is, is I don't even, there's not a word to express how much I love it. Every sound is well thought of. Like It's almost like Lynch had a hand in every aspect of doing the Foley. Well, I'll give you a little hint that he uh, did most of the sound design Did he? Himself. It does not yeah. surprise me because little things like rubbing your eye, it's like a stretching sound. You know, it's like a, a stretching, uh, it's not the sound you would think. Like, it's just abstract, weird things that only Lynch could do. It's, it's very ethereal. Like, it's very particular to that world. Definitely. But it makes sense. Absolutely. Even though it doesn't make sense in a normal life. In, in, in any other context. In, a, in, a, in another atmosphere. It would almost be comedic. And it right. kind of is at times. It is kind of comedic, but it's not... It is. It's not to the point where it's taking you out of the movie. No. There's it, a lot more to take you out of the movie in this than. There's uh, the it, it's a lot of like uh, uh, what we keep saying the word industrialized, but like or I do, but it because you hear a lot of like trains or like steam engines or like whooshing sounds, factory sounds, factory type. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. And so that's what low you're rumblings almost constantly throughout yes. this movie. Um, he Henry arrives at the house. Um, he walks in very, he walks up to the door, like extremely slow yeah. and precautious and uh, uh, like boyish, very, it's like a 10 year old going to, to meet his first girlfriend or something. Yeah. Cause he's nervous. He doesn't want to knock on the door, but he's also angry, uh, and, and frustrated, angry. Yeah. Yep. Cause she disappeared on him. Then there's a weird interaction between the two. <laughs> it's very awkward, by the way. It's very awkward. Um, what so, is the name of the actor who played Henry? I'll look it up. His name is Jack, Jack Nance. Nance. Jack Nance. So he is fantastic in this. We t- I, he's, he's really good for a, a character that doesn't do a whole lot and doesn't say a whole lot. He is just fantastic. Then the awkward situation. He gets in the house. The mother of Mary is sitting there, Mrs. X. Um, and it's this. They've never met. Because it's obvious by the interaction, she's like, hello there. Right. And he's like, hello. Right. Like they've, and they even say something to the effect of it's nice to meet you. And um, she tells her, she's got an agenda already. Mm-hmm. You can tell. In the, in the back, you can tell she's got an agenda. 
So he, he's, they sit down, and the weirdest interaction, because Mary sits on one end and he kind of sits almost on the other end. They're separated. There's no, there's, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no common ground right, right. Uh, between the two. But, then, but for me, this was more like he's ashamed to be close to her in front of her mother is kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah. He's, it, it, it's kind of, I guess, in some ways a familiar scene where you're not sure where the line is if you're dating someone I, right how much affection do you want to show towards right. that girl or that person you oh absolutely I mean? absolutely so absolutely. it's, it's kind of real in that sense but it also it's exaggerated to the point where it, i hate to keep bringing this up but it is very childlike and there's a reason why i'm bringing it up and i'll talk about it in a minute but it it's very childlike he feels like a child yeah. she feels uh, mary feels like a child too yeah and and that and like you said, we'll, we'll you'll 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 we'll understand why. Mm-hmm. Then the dad comes in. The dad's it, it, to me comes across oblivious. Oh, totally. But wait, before we get to the dad, I want to yeah. ask you one one yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. This, there was this. This is the part that like freaked me out. What, as soon as this hit, like up to this point, I'm like, okay, this is Lynchian. Oh, I know. I going. get it. Mary's sitting on the couch next to her mom, and out of nowhere, she starts freaking out. Mary starts freaking out. Kind of squealing or yelling or yeah, she starts gagging, 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 and then the mom grabs so gra- she gags and then grabs the back of her hair and starts combing it. Or she like grabs it. her by her jaw. That's right, the jaw. And then she starts brushing the back of her hair, and then Mary calms down. What the fuck was that? I don't know. What, like what? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. That's another 30 minute side podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, and this because is, you're right. I have no idea. Well, and then it, you know, we're getting shots of the dogs. In uh, the mother dog uh, nursing her her puppies in the same house, and I'm thinking, are they equating these this family to like a litter of puppies? Like, are, are these are they animal? Like, what the hell? The I only thing there I can go that I can't go anywhere. Anymore. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. But that was the part where it. I'm like, oh shit, this is even more bizarre than I thought it would be. Well, it is bizarre because it seems so unnatural. Out of nowhere. Out of, Dude, that's what I mean. Out of nowhere. Out of the blue. So I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. I think that's literally another 20-minute side part. Yeah, no, it probably is. <laughs> Just be aware whole... when you get to that scene that Mary does a weird cough thing and yeah. then gets calmed down by her mom <laughs> petting her hair. So, so, I don't know. So bizarre. But Mr. X, I love this Then dude. Mr. X uh, comes in. I love this man. He's hilarious. And, and he wants dinner, and he's like, we're having dinner, and we're having chickens, and they're man-made. They're man-made. Once again, nothing's natural in this world. Man-made? What does that mean? Well, and he even says, when he's talking about how he's a plumber, and he said, I put most of the pipes in, you know, in this neighborhood, and what did people think? Pipes just grew in their house? It's another allusion to everything is manufactured by man. Here. And he like, also alludes is. to the fact of the past, which is like, before it was this crazy industrialized world that used to be open range or yeah, open place right and, and right. now it's turned into this shithole right or this hellhole right he says uh, and like you said he put, he's put in every damn pipe right so he knows and that to me that's just important because it's just more it's more hitting on the fact and he says look at my knees to, look at my knees yeah <laughs> and then and then i mean this whole scene and i i do this a lot but it it kind of ringed a little bit of texas chainsaw massacre here you know what's crazy I thought the same thing. Did you? Okay, good. I'm not insane then. Because the way the mom charges at Mr. X. Charges, but... Go ahead. I didn't mean to... And it reminded me of Leatherface getting charged by the cook and kind of like 
cowering away. And then also later on with, with grandma sitting well, in Well, the then chair. they get into the kitchen and grandma is catatonic yes. in a chair. Right. And Mrs. X grabs the salad bowl, puts it in grandma's lap, grabs her hands and mixes the salad with grandma's hands right. and then gives her a cigarette. And this reminded me a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's that, that dinner scene with grandpa and they're trying to have grandpa kill Sally yeah. by putting the sledgehammer in his hand. But he's yeah. too old and decrepit to hold on to it. Yep. So Leatherface has to help him bash her over the head. So what we've seen so far are kind of like we're interpreting a lot of the stuff we've seen as homages to old cinema. I mean, Chainsaw came out in three, four years, 74. Yeah. So you never know. You never know. I, I mean, that's the other thing that I've learned about all these filmmakers is we're doing, especially the first time directors. And, and I've, I do this uh, in, in the short films and in the small projects that I've worked on. Uh, we pay homage to what we mm -hmm. like. For sure. So I, it wouldn't put it past Lynch to be like everything. A lot of what I do here is homage to other things. Could be. Yeah. They, they sit down at the table uh, after grandma's mixed the salad and had her cigarette. <laughs> and, and grandma's lifeless by the way yeah there's no lifeless. movement literally right. catatonic just sitting right. there and she's not even at the table with him she's in the kitchen i noticed that yeah they just left her in there <laughs> they just leave her <laughs> to her own device and they have dinner they begin to have dinner they put out the chicken which is man-made and they're they're these tiny miniature what looked almost more like they're like they're chickens, but they look like a small turkey. This is out of a nightmare. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they have totally. that shape. Yep. Mini, mini turkeys, what it looks like. And the dad says, Mary usually does the carving, but Henry, would you do the carving? And you're like, what is there to carve? Right. Right. They're all min they're all they're, individual turkeys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> These man-made, man-made chickens. Um, and, and Henry's unsure how to do it. And then he starts cutting it, and it just starts goozing and oozing blood? I swear, this is just straight out of my nightmares. I don't know what the fuck is going on. This goes back to Mary on the couch with the... Because it, uh, Henry starts cutting it. It's just this unnatural flow of right. fluid. Right. Then the mom... The mom starts having a spasm. Well, it, not only the, not only are the chickens oozing something, the legs are moving on the chickens. Yeah, they're dancing. They're dancing. <laughs> yeah, they're dancing. And while that's happening, though, this is the other thing is the mom has a spasm. Her head goes back. Her eyes roll back a little. Her tongue's going crazy. Right. And she has a weird spasm. And then she runs out of the room. And then the dad's like, <laughs> he's like, she'll be okay. And they're like... Where does this guy come up? Did he, what is happening? And then he's sitting there smiling at him, at Henry forever. It's silent and he's just smiling at him. He's just looking at him. And then out of the blue, he goes, well, Henry, what do you know? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? How do you answer that question? In response to his question, Henry's like, I don't really know anything. <laughs> Which is very true. And it's like, spot on. Yeah, you yeah. do know something, Henry. You yeah. don't know anything. You don't know shit. And that just makes me think that... Also, like, it's also a little play on human beings, which is like, what do you know? And people, like, will try to oftentimes explain what they know. Right. And the truth is, like, the more you know, like you, the cliche goes, you don't know anything. Yep. It's true. And he's saying something. It's there, true. Even in a subtle way, right? The dad just, like you said, smiling. The mom comes back to the table 
and calls Henry over. She's like, hey, I need to talk to you. And Henry's like, okay, this is, this is, this scene too, uh, Alan, this is so, so weird. So bizarre. I mean, I, I got a feeling we're going to be saying that a lot for this. I'm sorry, guys. This episode. Uh, but, and I mean weird in a fun, it's still a fun movie to watch. It I is, really it like is. it. Um, the mom calls Henry over and then it cuts to Mr. X just staring at him weirdly. And Mary looking out from the kitchen with a concerned look on her face. So you know that the mom's going to confront Henry about right. something between him and... So they go over to the side by the family room. They have this, you know, have you had sexual intercourse with my daughter? And you're like, whoa, this is getting serious questioning right, right off the bat. Henry's like, why are you asking me that? He's like, I, that's none of your business. Which to his... I agree. Is true. 100%. And the mom's like, you're in bad trouble if you don't cooperate. Like a cop, man. Scary. Oh my gosh. Scary. She got and, real aggressive. And not only aggressive, <laughs> then it turns into her. She's like, if you don't crop it, well, then. And she starts, like, kissing his neck. Well, see, I couldn't. T- was she kissing his neck? Was she, like, gnawing on his neck? It was a sexual thing. It was definitely a sexual thing. Whatever it was. But it was just. And the reason why I ask is, is this, is this more animal behavior? Kind of like with Mary and her weird cough and the pet trying to calm her. Once again, it's it's insinuating some kind of sexual response. I don't know what it is because she's initially just, questioning him like a detective about right. sexual relations with her, with her daughter. And then all of a sudden she's kind of fondling him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, just so, aggressively uh, assaulting him. And then Mary makes her way over and the mom pulls back like, oh, I guess I won't be doing that because now Mary's here. Yeah. <laughs> But, well, he, he calls for Mary, and Mary, he's like, Mary, and she comes in, and, and mom just stops and, and picks right back up where she was. And then they, they allude to the fact that uh, Mary was pregnant or got pregnant, and that's what she was trying to question is trying to figure out a timetable. Mary got pregnant and had a baby. The baby's not there. Right. It's, and, and in Henry's mind, he's like, that, it doesn't equate. Right. It doesn't add up. And then the mom says that, she's like, you can pick the baby up. I was like, what? Once you're married, you can pick the baby up. This is interesting because also she says, when you can pick the baby up. She also says, and Mary in, interrupts her. It says they're not even sure if it's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the mom says it was premature. So it was definitely, you know, it's a premature baby. But but that alluding factor to Mary going, they're not even sure right. what it is, right. uh, is going <laughs> to open up your mind later on. <laughs> then the mom, like you said, says, it's premature, it's premature. And Henry's confused because he doesn't think any of the timetable adds up. As a result of the pregnancy or what's assumed to be the pregnancy, which all happens very quick, by the yep. way. Henry just accepts it. And then they start talking about getting married. It was um, the saddest way I've ever seen a couple get engaged in a movie before. Because she's just bawling, and she's just like, are you okay with that, getting married? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I guess. And she's just bawling. It's just the saddest. You can just imagine that this is actually, as absurd as this movie is, I imagine a lot of people related to this scene. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who have had similar experiences. That's the interesting thing about what lynch does is that even though it's like those abstract notions it still has a sense of relatability right right and um then it cuts to mary's decided they've 
to move in with Henry at, yep. to his apartment. And here's where we go, what? It, what? it just gets crazier and crazier because and crazier. It cuts to her feeding this baby bandaged up and wrapped that looks like a... I don't... What does it look like, Alan? Um, so I wanted to keep saying chicken. And I don't know. I think it's the association with the chickens earlier. But it doesn't look like a chicken. It looks like a cow. It does. It, it looks, looks like, like a, a premature cow. Yes. And it's just it's just the face, though, because the neck is like string thin. Like, it's super, super thin. It's an E.T. neck. It is an E.T. neck. Exactly. It's an once again. Oh, wait. No, this is earlier. I was going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kept earlier. going back to my homages, and then I had to remind myself what year it was made. Uh, um, but, yeah, it's like an E.T. neck. So maybe Spielberg stole I the look. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't uh, shock me. Because everyone loved the movie. Yeah, they did. But she's feeding it almost forcefully, right? And it's gagging and gurgling and fussing and it's this was disturbing to me yeah me too um i love the special effects that thing that, that thing looked real it looked way too real for the time frame i don't know how they on, made it look that realistic on such a low budget and the way it moved and the, the things it did and the emotion that you could see in its face its eyes its eyes God, it's eyes. I'm going to have nightmares about that now. It the thing was is disturbing. disturbing. It was disturbing. And also what's crazy is that you start to, as disturbing as it looks, I started to feel a sense of sympathy for this thing. I felt totally. bad for totally. it. You know what I mean? Because the parents were basically gone. They like They had no sense of how to, take care of it or it's, care for it it's kids having kids yeah that's what it is and, yeah. that, and that's why i kept discuss, talking about how he's henry's very childlike and that's why i was talking about how he doesn't even know how to properly take care of a plant so now he's got to take care of a baby yeah how the hell the, is he gonna the do comparison that in there right but this thing's is is creepy looking and at the same time you feel sympathy then it kind of goes so they're now moved in together henry just goes back to kind of mundane things he checks the mail again yep He's walking the streets, the empty, uh, the empty streets. He finds uh, some kind of small worm-like thing on the street. So he's oh um, marries the apartment by herself with the baby. What appears to be all the time because Henry's left. Right, he's got to go to work. He, or no, he's on vacation. He's on vacation, but he's basically left the home, wandering the streets. He finds a. It's like a little maggot. So a but maggot is a bigger better than description. A, maggot, though. But a little bigger. And and then it cuts back and Mary's just at the house with the baby and she's starting to have disdain for this thing. Oh yeah, she's starting to lose her mind. And anyone who had a baby understands the frustration. There's nights where you go, please help me. It, it's it's I'm bad. Done. And then you're sleep deprived. It, it's it it is really 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 tough. And he might be saying something here. Look, uh, on this on the side of uh, parenting, in the sense that. A father just leaves the home. Not always, right? Right. But a, without a father in the home, it's hard. It is. Definitely, definitely. And it and there's oftentimes uh, an association that the mother should be responsible for the child. Right? Right. Just in some... I know that we don't look at it that way, and I know you don't, and I don't, and a lot of people don't. But in the past, that was kind of a societal 
for sure. structure, for sure. which was like the dad would leave potentially, whether that was work or forever, but they would be out of the home right. and the mom would be having to deal with all this by herself. For sure. And he's say, I think he's saying something there in some context. Well, you even see Henry come home, lay on the bed, and he's smiling, and he's looking at his his wife and the baby, and it, everything yeah. seems fine to him. Because when he comes back from finding this little thing and being away from the home, he goes and sits down on the bed, and he even looks back at the baby like unsure. Mary's trying to feed it, and right. he lays on the bed, like you said, and he's just like in his own world. He right. has no right. care for her or for the baby. Just totally oblivious. So oblivious that he looks at the furnace and it starts to, <laughs> a show starts to come alive in his mind. It's delusion, I think. Yeah. Because it, it goes, it's, he's on the bed, they're over there, and his delusion is, I'm going to go into my fantasy world, and his fantasy world is basically him ignoring the baby crying, him ignoring Mary trying to take care of the baby, and he sees like a stage inside the furnace. That's uh, right. That's a, right. A theatrical yeah. stage. Um, and it just <laughs> it's just like an empty stage at this point. We'll see later what it is. But he's in a delusional state in the sense that he's just escaping in his own mind. Yeah. It's a lot like, I think, what Mr. X was doing. Because he was happy-go-lucky. He was totally oblivious to this family drama going on around him. Right. His wife freaks out and runs into the other room, and he's just still sitting there smiling. Totally yeah. oblivious. Maybe it's some, saying also something about the nature of male and female. It might. It might. It probably is. You know. It probably is. Um, and with the burden of uh, responsibility of raising the kids and doing the right thing by the kids, what that can do to a person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which is so pessimistic. And so, it's, so, it's so dark. It's so dark. Because, I mean, you have kids. I have kids. I, it's, it's hell sometimes, but, man, it's, I love it. It's, this is why, as we've been breaking this down, man, there's just so much more depth than even initially you might view on the first The time. more I think about it, and this has been happening to me all day. I watched it today. This one, you'll never be. There's pre-Eraserhead and post-Eraserhead. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's so. I'll never look at the world the same. I'll never look at a frame of film again the same. It's what Lynch does. Uh, they're in bed sleeping. The baby's making all sorts of noises. This I started to sympathize with on a real level. For sure. Empathy more than anything was like the baby crying in the middle of the night. Oh God, just shut up. Please just shut up. And it kept going. He knew just how long to push it <laughs> yeah, in the sound design because he, he just really kept did. going and going and going. But did you notice this baby wasn't crying all that loud? And that it wasn't a loud cry or even it was, it, it wasn't that a real obnoxious that, cry that, either. Oh God, that, that it was a horrible, horrific. It was, it was a pitiful cry. Right. It was. That made it worse. Totally. Because you knew it was suffering. It was totally suffering. And then to see Mary just get so agitated and so agitated. Well, first he wakes up. They're sleeping and he wakes up and puts that little, what did we call it? The thing you found? The maggot? He puts the maggot in a in a little box uh, dresser thing. Right. And the baby keeps crying and then and then whimpering. It's a, it's a whimper. Yeah, it is. It's a whimper. <clears throat> and it cuts to Mary... And she's awake, and so is Henry. And Mary is just so agitated, so frustrated. There, so, there is one part there, though, where he touches her on the shoulder, and she pulls away so <laughs> fast, and I could not help but laugh. That was the funniest fucking part of the whole movie. I wonder what the, t the shoulder touched. Yeah, exactly. Was. Well, you can tell. You can see it in his eyes, man. He, he's ready for some action. 
And I mean, just the slightest. I didn't even notice that until you say that. Now oh I think my about God. it. The slightest touch on the shoulder, and she just yanks her shoulder away. And he, like, as just like a, a kid getting caught stealing cookies from the cookie jar, pulls his hand back and just like is praying to let it go away. Like he just wishes to disappear into those blankets. That is that is great. It was a total shoulder touch. I didn't realize it till you said it now. And oh, I, yeah. oh shit, I know what that means. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Shoulder touch. <laughs> shoulder touch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Henry's waiting for something. Yeah, um, he is. That's hilarious. She wasn't having it. No. And, and no, you don't blame her, of no, course. No, not at all. You you're you sympathize with Mary up to this point, but then you also, what's great, what Lynch does is you sympathize with her, and then immediately when she gets so frustrated that she basically can't take it anymore, right? Yeah. And she gets up and is like, I'm done. She bails. She leaves. She abandons Henry. She abandons uh, the baby, and she basically tells him, "I'm losing my mind. I can't get any sleep." And but she she does say that she just needs one good night of sleep, and she's going to go to her parents' house for the night. I also love that she says, "You're on vacation. You take care yeah, of it." Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's unemployed, right? Like, I don't know why. We, well, he, he says he's a printer. He, he says he's a printer, or but works at the print press. He's been on vacation this whole time, though. So it's some kind of uh, throwback to – that's why it has that 30s vibe, almost depression-like, right. where yeah. he's do- not working or he's having a hard time finding a job. Good point. And you said, yeah, she's all I need is a decent night's sleep. And so she leaves. You take care of yeah. me. Also relatable. Totally. <laughs> I, totally. Absolutely. Um, Anyone who's been a parent knows there is that breaking point where you're like, this is, I can't do this anymore. And then she abandons and leaves. And then he, Henry's kind of mad, but not really. But then he's like, why don't you just stay home? Yeah. Why don't you just stay at your parents then? <laughs> it, again, it's very like childlike the way he's just so great in how he delivers every line that he's got. And then she, before she leaves, though, she goes back to the bed and like starts jerking the bed. This thing- it was the longest cut of a scene. And then she pulls a suitcase out. It was hilarious, though. It, it was... was- it- I don't know what it meant. She's crying the whole time. Yeah, she is. Frustrated yep. and angry. Pulling, pulling. And then all of a sudden, you're like, what is she doing? And then she pulls, pulls the suitcase. Pulls out the suitcase, yep. And you're like, okay. Um, she didn't pack it, though. She just took it. Yeah, she just... <laughs> which tells me she had that fucking pre-packed. She's been ready to go for that, a while. That suitcase was yeah, pre-packed yeah. weeks in from advance. The, from the day they advance. brought that, that baby home, I think, that cow baby home, I think she was ready to go. So what do you think happens when Mary leaves? Uh, What's the first thing that Henry oh, he thinks to, of? He, he tries to go over to the uh, the woman across the, the hallway. He's thinking, well, it's that scene because he cut. It shows the woman across the. The first thing he thinks of when she leaves is the seductress that crossed the yep. hallway. He tries to open the door. Baby cries. Yeah, shuts it. Baby shuts up. Yep. Opens it again. Baby cries. But in the but he's ha, he, it shows a shot of him and he thinks of her across the hallway. Right. So he's not thinking about what do I need to do. He doesn't run after right. Mary. He doesn't try to. Nope. He thinks of the sexy woman across the hallway. Yep. The perverted man. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so, but then it then it uh, he comes out of this little delusion again, this fantasy of the woman across the hallway, because the baby's crying. Uh, it's it and having it's almost like having a hard time breathing. He takes its temperature, and he's like, oh, you are sick. And you're like... Well, he says that after the jump scare. 
Because there's a jump scare here where he takes the temperature and he's kind of looking at it. And then it cuts back to the baby in a very abrupt fashion with the music stinger. And the baby's covered in hives or something. Oh, that's right. And it's it's like a big, it's like a straight up jump scare. Well, he takes the he takes the the temperature first. Right, right. And then, yeah, right after that, it, it t- cuts back to him. And he's like checking the temperature. He walks over. And then a jump scare cuts back to the baby. And it's completely deformed with right. spores and different things. What's all with over Lynch and these weird jump scares? These, I mean, it, this isn't quite as uh, pronounced as Mulholland Drive with the uh, behind the dumpster. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's out of place. It's shocking. Right. It, well, you would think that the way he set it up, that Henry would have a bigger reaction. Yeah, but this baby looks... Looks sick. But Henry just says, oh, you are sick. I know, but it looks disgusting. It di- <laughs> are you talking about before or after the hives? Before, <laughs> but way more after. It looks so disgusting. Whoever made this model and built this thing... Oh, God. Did an awesome job. Straight up Tom Savini right there, man. It's That's so like, gross because like inside its mouth, it's oh, like swollen and disgusting. It's, and so, it's so gross. It's weird though because once again, you look at it and you're horrified because yeah. you're like, ew. But at the same time, you're like, oh, that poor thing. Yeah, I, I feel bad for it the right. whole time. And that's a interesting way to build it because you could look at it and go... It's fake. It's not right, real. Right. But I, I am playing that contrast quite a bit throughout where I'm going, it's disgusting. Uh, get, get it out of the picture. And then also going sympathizing. Well, that's where Lynch is good. Like we talked about, this movie's abstract as hell, but you still relate to what's going on to these characters. This baby is disgusting as can be, but you still feel a lot of sympathy for it. Yeah. Like Lynch, for some, for, he's able to manage those two. Because usually something this repulsive, you would, how could you have any sympathy for this thing? Right. I just, it's, I, I don't know if it's the sound. I don't know if it's the pathetic little movements of its head. I don't know what it is. Those movements make a difference. In, they really in, do. In, in making it feel authentic. They really do. Henry, his way of taking care of it, he puts a humidifier mm-hmm. in front of it and sits there. It's probably what his mom did when he was a kid. It's the only thing I think of. It's like, I wouldn't have thought to do that. Maybe then. I don't know. The only thing he's missing is the Vicks Vapor up yeah, on the exa- feet with yeah, the socks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but he's just sitting there and doesn't show. He sits there, but he's not showing a whole lot of sympathy for the baby. He's no. just more of like annoyed. Totally. <laughs> this is the beginning of the end. So that's <laughs> where it starts. Then this is where he tries to leave. He's like, he goes over, he checks on the baby, he sees the humidifier there. It seems to be quiet for a moment. Mm-hmm. Puts on his little robe or coat and goes to the door. And as soon as he opens the door, the baby cries and whimpers. And then he goes back and then he sits down. And when he sits down, it does it a few times, two or three times yeah, repeatedly. Yeah. And then he sits down and he's like, I guess I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Henry. And those cutbacks to the baby make me vomit. They're, it's I'm so sorry. Gross. It's, it's so, so gross. gross. <laughs> um, it's just, it's. Then he lays down and it does these cutbacks to the baby. And like we were talking about with the eyes, the eyes kind of draw you in and make you sympathize for it. It feels real. He's laying down. He's trying to get some sleep. Then he goes into delusion land again. He looks at the furnace and it starts to have a light come out of it. And, and the camera's panning across. And then it kind of goes into this delusional world once again of a theatrical stage mm-hmm. right 
But this time the stage isn't empty. This time on the stage is a blonde woman in a dress with deformed cheeks. Again, this is where I'm saying that every, everything in this movie is, it's a caricature. Like, it's exaggerated. It's all a cartoon. Like for, But it's also like a deformed caricature. Because I, I, I think this is, this is my interpretation. I, I think the girl in the furnace is Henry's child-like, uh, it, it's, it's his inner child. You know, kids have big, puffy cheeks, you know, and, but, but for some reason, Lynch just has to distort everything just to make it super uncomfortable. But this, that, I mean, that's my interpretation. I but, think it's his mom. Oh, good point. I really do. Oh, I think it's, yeah. uh, 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 you know, when you go into a dream, we've all done this, right? Mm-hmm. We've all had, and your dreams are abstract. Yep. Do you dream? Some people don't. Dream. Oh, yeah, for sure. Some people don't. Uh, I dream as well, and and uh, and I say that because my wife doesn't really dream. Really? Uh. Uh-uh. I dream all the time, every night. See, well, like right now, I have a cold. Every you you dream every night. Every night. Wow, that's crazy. I would literally say, let me say this: five out of seven nights of the week, I'm probably dreaming. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, I that, I mean, it's the only fun part for me to be sick is I have the craziest dreams. Just because it, you're it goes you're high on wall. Nyquil. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I remember them. I mean, but has anyone ever said, "Wow, that was a really normal dream I had last night"? Once again, this is where we're going to get into Lynch territory of everyone subjectively having their own viewpoint. That's what I love about it is everyone can kind of tackle it their own for way. Sure. But I think the lady in the furnace in his dreams or his visions or his delusions, whatever you want to call them, I think it's his mom. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, she acts childlike. Childlike. She has a big smile on her face. Her cheeks look like she has elephantitis, mm-hmm. like a big thing, distorted, d- d- deformed. But she seems happy. She's smiling. Yeah, she's very happy. Very happy. I love that. I love that yeah. contrast of it, uh, whatever have you taken and then weird sperm things start falling <laughs> on the floor right right and um she it, starts stepping on him and she starts stepping on him and and then crutch but then it goes it, it kind of comes out of it and you you're back at a um what you think to be reality because it goes back to the bedroom now it comes right. out of the furnace goes back to the bedroom and it cuts around to some of the abstract things, like we said, the mound of dirt with the tree on the wall that replaces a lamp, and and then uh, and Henry's in bed again with Mary. She came back. Well, this is what I don't know yet. Okay. This is what I thought too. I thought, oh, they're back in reality, and they're just moving forward in time and space, and now she's back, because then Mary starts uh, rubbing her eye. And this is where you have the squeaky, stretchy sound, like almost so like I, a balloon. While she's rubbing her eye. I, I still think it's in a delusion or a dream. Okay. I think. Bear with me. Because she's, yeah, she's, and it's this over-the-top sound, eccentric sound design. Right. The squishy of her rubbing her I eye. I remember this part. She's, God, I hope this is a dream. She's, yeah. God, this is I what I mean. It's still a dream. Yeah. She's moving around. She can't move. Henry's like, move over. And then as she's moving around, she's almost confined almost like she's got a straitjacket on. And then he starts pulling out <laughs> the alien-like sperm things from her oh my blanket. God. Oh, my God. And throwing them at the wall. Just smacking them against the wall. And they're, they're slapping against it. And they're falling down. And I think it's alluding, because it's still in that delusion dream, right? But I also think it's his fears. 
something about mm. his fears of Mary having more kids. <laughs> That's a good point. Because there are these, you know what I mean? That's a good point. So, so there's something there he's, he's doing because then it gets into, it does the introduction. We're still in the dream state, by the way, at least in my thought. You don't know entirely with Lynch right, films, right. but I think we're still in the, the dream point. state. Because as he's throwing, he, and then it goes to uh, the little, what did we call it again? The in, little uh, maggot. In the maggot, and the maggot and inside. The, I just call it a maggot because that's the only thing I can. That's even, exactly what it looks like. Right. I would 100% agree. And so uh, it goes to the maggot, and then it cuts to the woman seductress next door. And he starts fantasizing about her having locked herself out of her apartment and needing to place to stay. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so you think, so you think these that are was all, a fantasy? It, it's all okay. one seamless dream. So you go from woman in the furnace to Mary having sperm alien things pulled out of her blanket to the the little what's it called? The maggot, Fuck. the little maggot. I can't think of the word. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but it is the little maggot to the seductress next door. And she's like, it's so late. And then. Which makes far more. Okay, this is making more sense I'm to me. I'm saying now. all that's one if thing. That's it's all a one fantasy dream, dream in the thing. same thing. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense to me because I was looking at this, and this is where it went off the rails. And I should have been more astute than this. I should have known that you never know if it's a dream or not because I, I took it to being. As soon as we're out of the furnace, we're out of the dream state or the fantasy or whatever it is. But I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right because it doesn't make sense that the that the woman would just suddenly come in and, and be like, hey, I lo I'm locked out of my apartment. Let's bang. Yeah, because we've <laughs> – that's how he wrote right. it in the script. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly <laughs> those words. Um, she just says, I'm out of my apartment and it's late. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think all that's a dream. Okay. So that if you're watching this sense. for this 20 minute segment right. or sequence, there's a dream. She comes in and Henry's getting what he wants. Yeah. They're in bed, but they're not just in bed. It's like a weird water hot tub bed. And I would love to know how they shot this. It looks awesome. It looks awesome. And they're slowly, well, first of all, before we know they're in a hot tub bed, they're making out and she looks over at the baby. Well, they're in the bed. They're in the bed now. Right. And she looks over at the baby, and right. she's disturbed. Right, and she's disturbed. And he pulls her her, her face back to him. And I think this is super important, because it's especially if it's a dream, because now we're, we're starting to really understand Henry's fears, that he's going to be stuck with this kid, and it's going to ruin his entire life. He can't get laid again. He won't be able to get laid. He's going to be attached to this, to this thing, and... I, and I don't know about you. My my when I when I when my daughter was first born, um, the first night she was home from the hospital, uh, she got, had the crib right next to my bed, and I got up in the middle of the night and I had a total freak out, a total freak out. And it wasn't so much that my life was ruined. It wasn't anything like that. But I was paranoid that she had stopped breathing in the middle of the night. A hundred percent, because one of the most this is going to sound very sentimental and dad-like. Right. One of the greatest things with my babies, my three kids, is when you'd wake up at night, and I loved, I liked it. It was one of the most soothing, fun, uh, is just hearing them breathe. Absolutely. 
And so and, if you get the opposite of that, it's going to go. And the other I don't way. know why I woke up, but it was just like I couldn't hear her breathing because she was just, you know, she was just breathing softly. So I rush over to the crib and I, I bend down and I hear her breathing and I, I kind of I settle down a little bit. But you I, do the hand on the lungs. Yeah, I do totally. the three fingers yeah, on the lungs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but then I had this freak out and it wasn't so much that my life is over and I'll never be able to have fun. But it was more like I'm going to be attached to this fear for the rest of my life. This this worry that she's going to, uh, you know, fall down, break a leg. You know, there's just always going to be that fear. And I'm never going to be able to escape that. That was my worry. So I can I can kind of understand if you're a much younger person, if you're a child having a child and the reality sinks in on you. I can understand that kind of paralyzing fear like my life's over. I got nothing else going on. You know, once again, we go back to the, this is why he's so good, because I think if you look at our society is you hear particularly males will say this if they've been married young. I got married young, but you'll hear this a lot, which is like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, going to be able to sow any more wild roots. Right, right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's a real thing in culture and how for people sure, speak. For sure. You hear that, right? Sure, you want to tie down to one person right, right. or to one thing, and, and it can equate to uh, a significant other, or it can equate to a child. Absolutely. Right? So that's, it's 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 even the old adage, the old ball and chain. Yeah, the old ball. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? All dumb shit. But at the same time, like I get it, especially in this case when he's alluding to the fact that Henry is so young. Well, exactly. I mean, it's just the idea of having some sort of burden for the rest of your life where his is like... Or he sees it that way. He sees it that way, exactly. Whereas mine was much different. It was more, I'm going to be burdened with fear for the rest of my life. Yeah, because those are two distinct things. I completely understand what you're saying, 100%. I just have to clarify that. that No, 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 100%. (laughs) Because I'm in this... I I get it, 100%. Um, But he's... And he's also disappointed. He's trying to get her attention again because he wants to get what he wants to get. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then they sink into the... Then they sink in. This is a great shot. It's fantastic. Once again, this is why, like, in the beginning with the deformed kind of goblin Nosferatu character, why this has that vibe in the sense of, like, he can show what is alluded to be a sexual encounter. Mm-hmm without it being what we would imagine a sexual encounter being in the movies. Right. I love right. it. Right. I I do too. It's it, I think you couldn't you couldn't do it just any I mean you'd ha, it's you have to do it very skillfully in order for it to be effective and that's I mean that's why this movie's so great because he's figured out a way to do this. Yeah. His brain, man. It's David Lynch's brain is just I love to get in there. It's the Lynch factor. Because to be that abstract but also still be down to earth it's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how he does it. I don't either. And as we've been talking about it, it's making more and more, it's becoming more and more clear and I'm more and more loving it. Me too. They uh, sink into, which, which is essentially saying that they've, they've sunk into, they've, they made, they've had intimate relations. And then it cuts to the woman in the furnace again and she's th- singing, uh, everything is fine in heaven. Oh God. Which was an original track written for the movie. And this all feels very uh, Twin Peaks, you know. You could tell he borrowed a lot of this, a lot of a lot of this kind of these elements from uh, when he when he went out and did Twin Peaks. And some of the words are, "You've got your good things uh, in heaven, fine," and you've got you've got your good things, you've got mine. 
or something to that effect. And it's the woman, the blonde woman with the deformed cheeks singing mm-hmm. this song. And then Henry appears on the stage with her. What's the name of the song? It's called Every Well, I don't know if the name is it. Okay. But it's everything I know the first part of the lyrics is everything is fine in heaven. Okay. Um, we could pull that up. I'm just trying to see, see if yeah. I can find the lyrics. Yeah, see because if we can pull it up. I think that's going to definitely, for me... Some significance there, I, I agree. Yeah, it, it, at the end of the movie, I, I'll tell you what my interpretation yeah. was it. But uh, but Henry's on the stage with her, okay? And we'll get to this song. Keep that song, pull it up too, so we have a reference for it later. Um, and he confronts her. And there's this really... Uh, she has like open hands, right? She like opens her hands up. And for those listening, she just has her both palms upward. And Henry looks at her concerned and then reaches out. And then all of a sudden there's a high pitched hum and it blasts to a a white screen. And he's uncertain and he's unsure. And he's like almost comes across once again, a little bit timid or scared, I should say. And then the, and then she's gone. So like it flashes white and then he's alone on the stage. See, I think that's why it's his, I, and, and look, once again, I don't know what the fuck Lynch is doing. Right. But it, this is why I love the movie. Cause I can look at, I think it's his mom. I think it's something to do with his mother. And now she's gone. Right. And at that point, this is where it gets complete. We're still in the dream state. And he leaves the stage, and then it cuts back to. Uh, this is where it gets actually gets crazy. <laughs> I'm gonna have a hard time. I this keep is saying where. this is where. Fuck out! This is where it gets crazy. <laughs> if you were to listen to the last hour and a half that we've been talking, we've said that five times, and this time I mean it. Yeah, it gets it gets nutty. It gets wild. He leaves the stage, and then it shows a. a I don't. I, Fuck, how am I going to describe it? I, I don't even know. I have no um, idea. His head falls off. <laughs> that was straight up dumb and dumber right there. <laughs> uh, his, he, we get a Petey. Yeah, uh, we get a Petey. Par- Petey parakeet. His head fell off. Our pet's heads are falling <laughs> off. <laughs> Henry's head falls off. But not only does it fall off, it actually starts to be replaced by a new smaller head that <laughs> resembles his child's head. Also, his head jumps and like flies over and then right. lands on the ground. I love how but, they did but, this. But this thing spins around. First, it, it pops off, right? It pops off because it looks like a penis that pushed it off. That's true. It's it like, doesn't just fall off. Right. It, it is jettisoned out, out of his... Out of his suit, because a giant penis comes out of the neck hole. <laughs> I mean, how's that for symbolism? Uh, that's and, how you describe it, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you're right. Yeah, the, it's our pants heads are falling <laughs> off from penises. <laughs> and then it's spinning around. It's doing, you know, it's it's. And then and then yeah, and that's when the his, but that yeah, you're right. It spins around, and also here's a little. Alan for you. He, I'm sure he loved this scene because we've got a decapitated head <laughs> and also blood just oozing all over. You know what? I actually did really love this scene. I, this, I this thought of I was you. like, okay. I was like, all Alan, right. Alan loved I'm, this I'm part. digging this. He loved it. I'm digging this. Although, also, once again, we go back to the, the model builds on these, whoever was the special effects yep. artist. 
Really well done. I, it, it's it's it really was. It was really well done. I, unbelievable, unbelievable. And then in 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 Henry's decapitated body, now the head is not just a penis. It's been the penis has been retracted. Right, right, right. <laughs> the turtle's back inside. <laughs> and, I'm scared. And uh, <laughs> and now emerges the head of. The child, Henry's of his baby, ca- cow baby, his whatever cow it is. baby thing, and it starts, <laughs> and bloods all over the theater stage. A decapitated head with Henry's uh, body, and now a cow baby head emerging. Uh, Lynch, what, and then it, <laughs> it gets even weirder. His head ends up; uh, it cuts to outside of the theatrical stage, right? Because now it's outside in the industrial world, mm-hmm. and it's it's Henry's head and it pops open it cut it, it it gets cut open and it flops open and a kid runs by and grabs it well it so in how they did this i don't know this is another part i just loved it falls from a building oh the fall that's and it, how it smashes on the ground and it just stays there for a minute and then the head falls over but the scalp remains stuck to the road because you know what it does in the fall you're right it, the, this transition's so cool yeah because, and I forgot, this is a cool technical thing, so I'm glad you brought it up. It has a shot of his head on the ground with all the blood around yep. it. And the head sinks into the blood. That's right. And then it cuts to a shot in the industrial world outside, and you just see a head fall That's and right. splatter to the ground. That transition it's incredible. is incredible. Yeah, it is. You know, being an editor, you know, we're always, we're obsessed with transitions. Yep. I'm obsessed with transitions. I'm sure that you are too. And I love that that's how he took it from an interior location to an exterior. It just looks really cool how, how he did it. But then it splatters to the ground and the top of the head pops open. <laughs> pops open. Some kid runs and picks it up. Random kid walks by, picks it up. There's a, a vagabond outside pointing at it, like holding yeah. his hand out, not saying anything. Kid runs to uh, what appears to be some kind of f- storefront, right? <laughs> <laughs> and holding the head holding the head and uh they take it back into some kind of factory uh they examine the head and uh they take it back to a factory and they basically hand it over to a guy at a machine right and the guy at the machine takes the head and he almost like he he tests it right because he gets a not a knife or a scalpel or something and sticks it inside mm-hmm. and takes a bit of what's inside the head and puts it into a machine that you end up seeing the machine is is a- actually fabricating pencils with erasers on yep. it. Yep. Eraser head. Eraser head. And that's the name of the movie. But that's not what the movie <laughs> is. So, okay, I just kind of We'll keep going. I don't want Yeah, go ahead. This is um very rough, this theory. I just barely, it just barely popped into my head. Hit it. Is he scared that this kid popped out of his his dick that popped off his head? So the kid be- is is forcing him to become a mindless pencil pusher. I mean, that's very rudimentary. And that's a very mm-hmm. abstract way to go if that's what it is. But but once again, I mean, you could go that way. I see that. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about it is he can take a common feeling 
of a father who's unfamiliar or feels out inadequate or right. unable to take care of something because he himself is young and doesn't feel like he can provide the right way and is going to be forced into doing something that maybe he doesn't enjoy or maybe uh, is the quote-unquote right thing to do. And that's all he's going to be. Just to take care of this kid. He's going to lose uh, aspirations to do other things potentially. Right. I don't know. I, it just kind of popped into my head. But it it, once again, sense. this is why Lynch is great. This is the Lynch factor. Right. Because you take an idea like that, many times you're just going to write it out and you're going to film it. And it, the, the, the person yeah. that's going through that's going to express, well, now I'm not going to be able to do anything. Right. I'm right, not, right. I can't live up to my dream. Right. It's going to be all exposition. Yes. It's going to be like a big speech about it. And this is why I love Lynch because right. now he can take that and go, now, that may not be what it is, but I see what you're saying, sure. and we can go with that that, well, that angle. And the thing with Lynch that's so great is he lets us have it. He lets us. He does not. I love that. Never it. once will he come out and say this is what it means, because he lets it be up to us. And A I, true artist in every way. Absolutely. I mean, the dude is just, he's, he's everything I aspire to be. So then they test, it goes through, they use his head to make a pencil eraser, and then they test it. The guy takes it out of the manufacturing machine, uh, writes on it, and then erases something. And then what's cool, once again, we talk about these transitions that he uses, which are awesome, because mm -hmm. the, the dust or the, the residue from the pencil eraser, the guy brushes it, and it flies off, and it turns into like stars of specks of dust. Yeah. And turns into a big the space. Right. Which is awesome. Then it cuts back to Henry in bed. But we see the man in the planet, don't we? No, he's not point, in there he's yet. He's not in there yet. Not okay. yet, uh, if I remember right. It's just that, because that's the cool part about the transition. And it's, it's just a technical thing. It's like, I'm going to take the specs of the eraser. Right, right. And then it's going to turn into it, the just, bigger picture of the stars. It's just cool. It's just, it's, it's a cool transition. Much harder to do back then, too. Much harder to do. And also, like, I love this because, um, like I said, being an editor and, and being in that all the time, I'm always thinking about transitions. And this is, once again, when the best directors have an editorial mindset. Yep. We talked about this with For Nolan sure. last week. For sure. And he's like, because it's hard to think about how to take a scene from one place to another mm -hmm. if it means something. You know what I mean? How do I take it from here to there? And they're already thinking about, this is how I'm going to do it. This is the shot. This is the exact layout of it. And he does it brilliantly because that takes it kind of to us this, this the specs of the universe the mm -hmm. dust and then it cuts to uh henry in bed kind of almost coming out of this illusion yeah. of this dream so uh, masterfully masterfully done i think i think so too and also it cuts to henry and, and um he's he's concerned right it has this like concerned <laughs> look on his face his dopey face his dope his dopey face <laughs> He's back in his bedroom, and here's here's the baby again, making all sorts of noises, and he basically leaves. I believe at this point, and that's what I think. Uh, finally, after like thirty, it's been a while, thirty yeah. minutes, we're finally back out of the the dream state. I think so. Okay, and and I could be off here. So for those no, listening, I, but I that's you're kind right of on. where I think, I think you're right it on sits. with that. Yeah, I think you're right on with that. Because what it does is motivates him to do what he wants to do, which is go uh, across the hallway. Go across the hallway. And fuck his, room, his, his yep. next door neighbor. You know what? It makes it. So he, he pounds on the door. 
So he goes over there. And yeah, he no one's there. Pounding on the door. And so he goes back to his room. And inside his room, this is this is this is where it gets now it's all gonna come together. <laughs> Alan, this is where it gets crazy. We're fi- we're finally getting there. We're finally getting there. <laughs> um and he lays back down in bed, uh, concerned look in his face, frustrated, unsure. He's thinking of something though. Something's going on. But at some point he sees the sexy lady across the room with making out with some dude. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of fires him up. Yeah, and that fires him up. Because he's like, that could have been me. In right, his mind, right. that's how I feel he was kind of approaching it. He sees uh, the woman across the hallway making out some dude. And by the way, that dude also has a deformity. He does. That's right. That's right. Got, it's, like a, it's a birthmark on his face or something, but he has something going on. So Lynch is always throwing in these obscure looks as well, which I love. It's um, his thing. Then he goes back inside, and after he's seen them making out, he almost falls apart, slides down the door, and is, he feels defeated. This is where the frustration <laughs> comes out because he, goes, he, he hears the baby again. He sees the baby. He opens up that drawer, that dresser that we talked about, that dresser that has the water yep. and then the dead vegetation on top, and he pulls out scissors from the drawer. And he walks over to the And baby. you just know it's going to get bad. You just know. It, it, when, when he pulls out those scissors, it's like, oh, God. Now, remember, and I don't know that we described this, the baby, you can only, it's, it, its head is resting on a pillow, and then its body is wrapped in bandages. It looks like it's swaddled. Swaddled in bandages, and all you see is a neck and a deformed or premature cow head. Right. <laughs> premature cow head. <laughs> Now, he gets the scissors out of the dresser and walks over there and starts to cut the bandages off the baby because the baby's wheezing and, and making even more elaborate noises yeah. and, and suffering. It's really starting to, uh, yeah, it's, it's again. It's, it's also convulsing at some point. It, it starts is, to yeah. Convulse. And this is where, I don't know if it's got to be puppetry, but this is where it gets really good and really detailed and you're really starting to feel like you're watching a murder happen. It's um, even though it's a puppet. It's it's just really authentically done. It, it is. looks real. He cuts the bandages open, and it's almost like lungs. Is if you were to take someone's lungs and cut down the middle mm-hmm. of the sternum, and open lungs up, right, and see like the inside and like a heart and like a. So what was were the bandages its skin or was that the only thing holding the I think it was insides the, together the concept to me is that that's what's holding the insides together because once he cuts through all the bandages everything kind of spills okay out a bit. okay and you see the heart and what are apparently some kind of and it's just and he's in shock the baby no uh uh, uh well oh, yeah. he is too yeah, yeah. the baby's in shock because right. it's convulsing and what appears it, it's gonna it's dying uh, even For more sure. so than ever for sure and but no i mean henry because it's convulsing, and then he takes the pointed end of the scissors and punctures the heart. Right, and it oozes, and it of starts course. oozing, and it, it's convulsing, and it sprays out. Yeah, <laughs> and like he jumps it back. It sprays out of a hole that he didn't even puncture. I did notice that. Yeah, but it's still okay. cool. Yeah, it's very cool actually. Um, and then it's cool. This is the thing, though. It's cool and very sad. It is. 
Because you, you why do, do I feel so? You bad? feel for this this thing that is clearly a, a puppet. Like it doesn't even look. I don't know. It, it still looks. I think it, it does. I think it looks real. I, it does look real, but it's like nothing we've ever seen before. Uh, it's nothing that is even close to being in our reality. It doesn't speak a word. You, it does. It can't form expressions with its eyes. Like it doesn't have eyebrows to 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 emphasize what it's feeling. But somehow he has created this little monster baby that you can tell exactly what it's feeling at any given time. Yeah. And and you do really feel like it's like he's murdering a child right now. But he jumps back in shock of what he's done. The baby starts convulsing even more, spraying out. Then it coughs up. Oh God. Blood. Oh God. That to me got me. And then it starts uh it's foaming from the body. Yeah. So like just I mean, just massive amounts of foam type right. substance start coming out of the puncture wound. And Henry's completely in shock. He's his it cuts through his face and he's 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 realizing what's happening. The lights start flickering in, in the apartment, right? Right. Then after it all the foam has come out, the neck, it cuts back to it, and the neck of the baby's like ten feet long. It's stretching out. Stretching it's- out. And it's I don't know what to say other than he's completely in shock and it starts spitting out of the mouth the electrical wiring in the apartments like sparking off and he's just concerned he's like he doesn't know what to do or how to <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't know how to interpret it just like i don't right right the neck is now 10 feet long just you know i don't know this is the getting close to the ending here there's something going on and then finally now the head enlarges to a huge size. Yeah. The baby's head is huge, and Henry's basically scared. <laughs> yeah. And it's these flash cuts. Lights go in, lights go out because the apartment lights are dark and then light. And as it's going, the head's moving back and forth, and it's moving all over, staring at him and jump cutting all over the place. And he's just completely... Great unseen. editing here, too. Great editing. With the, uh, with the jump cuts of the head on different sides of the, of the frame. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then one of the last cuts is this big head kind of moving towards, like it starts moving towards Henry and he kind of cowers almost. He's like, you know, and then it just, you hear a thud. Yep. And then it cuts back to the original shot, bookended, at least in the sense of like the little worldly um, planet thing. And it kind of explodes. Like it has a, a, it, it blows up. At some point, the man in the planet shows up. I think it's right before he... I want to say right before he kills the baby. No, the man in the planet hasn't shown up yet. We see the the planet crack. It's that original planet thing. That, I keep calling it a planet, but it's like a weird ball. I don't know what it is. It's almost like a, a textured egg, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so that's... And then that cracks. It cracks, and then it goes to a shot of Henry... And there's a big hole, a gaping hole inside the textured egg now because it's cracked open. You hear electricity and all this sound design. And then it cuts back to the Nosferatu character that we saw in the beginning, mm-hmm. the, the, the goblin kind of deformed looking creature. And he's, I don't know if he's grinding something with metal. So this is the man in the planet. The, this is the guy in the very yeah, beginning, the Nosferatu yeah, the, yeah, guy. Yeah, the man in the planet. And, and he's, 
So I just pulled up Wikipedia, and it's saying that what he's doing, he's he's struggling with the levers. So and because you see, well, you see in the in the in the frame, you see sparks flying, and he's right. kind of yeah, he is struggling. He's kind of having a hard time. It with says uh, side of the planet bursts apart, and inside the man in the planet struggles with his levers, which are now emitting sparks. Yeah, then that's where it goes, and then it goes to uh, a faded white look of film with Henry meeting the woman, the blonde woman in the furnace with the big cheeks and hugging her. And then it goes, there you go. Written, produced by David Lynch. (laughs) But that's why I think it's his mom. I don't know why. That makes sense. But I think it ends on that note. And I think it's his mom. The woman in the furnace with the big deformed cheeks is his mom. I still think for me, I, I interpret it as his inner child and the man in the planet is his, kind of animalistic self. So the man in the planet's in charge when he has sex at the beginning. The man in the planet's in charge when he just can't take this kid anymore and he's got to do something about it. As a child, he was always, I'm sure he was taught like any, like most kids, I should say, that there's a heaven and when people die, they go to heaven and it's very simplistic and it's very easy and everybody's happy in heaven and I think for him, it's his way to justify, well, I can just take care of this problem because the, it'll be better for the baby because now the baby will be in heaven and I'll get to go play. And I'll get to go play and I'll get to go bang the sexy girl across the hall and I'll get to go sow my oats and, and do everything I want to do. I'll get to go play and have fun. So that's the way I, I interpret it. I, that there are like these two selves. There's the man in the planet. That's his animalistic self doing what he needs to do what his innermost desires are controlling those and you have the lady in the radiator who is his inner child saying everything's gonna be great everything's gonna be hunky-dory we'll just we'll have a good time yeah the conflicting ideas of of what you uh tend to believe either through upbringing or otherwise yeah you have two kind of personas and and one is this thing and one is that thing and they're constantly uh almost kind of battling against each other yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair, a fair throw. I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> I love filmmaking, and I, I'm a movie enthusiast. I'm a film buff, film teacher. I, that, that's a good. I, what you just said is really good. I don't know. I, I would actually, and I, I don't know the specific classes you're teaching, but I think it'd be interesting to get, like, to assign a paper on this. And just see what other, I mean, just purely selfishly to see what other people interpret out of this movie. Well, I teach two classes. I teach an editing class and I teach an intro to film class. So the intro to film class next semester, if if I end up teaching it, um, I'm going to assign this into the, because we just watch movies and we Mm -hmm. do essay reviews on them. This one wasn't in there this last semester, but the coming semester, I'm going to put it in. Because I would just love to hear other people's interpretation. Especially film students, man. There's nothing like there, there's no stronger opinions than, than, than kids in college. I, I mean, I have my thoughts on it. Um, this is a gripping film. <laughs> that's that's how it I, is. It's just gripping. The first time you see it, you're going to be uh, confused and maybe a little off put because you don't understand it. But I think that overall, it's just a real uh, entertaining film in the sense of just complete abstractness were you put off by it no the only thing that was off-putting for me was the pace was just so slow at times i wasn't off-put i actually was 
the opposite because I'm constantly intrigued by the strange and unusual because I myself am strange strange and and unusual. unusual. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I think we hit on a lot of good notes. I think there's is homage there. I think that's common. We talked about the German expressionism, uh, the Chaplin, Buster Keaton type of uh, silent film era. Um, I mean, just a lot of things going, you know, going on. I like your, I like your th- interpretation. I think that's fair. Um, I, I want to write my own paper on it. Yeah. Because I need to, to keep watching it again and start to figure out what, what might, you know, come about by doing so. So give me, um, give me your, give me your rating on it. I think you gave a good summation. Give me your rating on it. As uh, has been the case at for a number of films that we've done on this show, my rating is is risen as we talked about it. I know it's funny how that works. It, it's uh, when I finished the movie, I was fully ready to give it. Oh, by the way, there's a name for for the uh, the little sperm creature that comes out of his mouth. Spermazoid. A giant. Spermatozoon. 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 I, I can't even pronounce it. Just imagine an alien sperm. It's a <laughs> It's an actual thing. Holy shit. In re, in reproductive biology. What what's it called? It's it's spelled okay, it's spermatozoon. Whoa. So sperm a uh, toes and then Z O O N. Spermatozoon. A spermatozoon is a mobile is a motile sperm cell or moving form of the haploid cell that is that is the male gamete spermatozoon joins an ovum to form a zygote you you lost (laughs) me but anyway no but there's some serious scientific notions look at look at lynch man smart guy oh i don't doubt i don't doubt the creativity and intellect of him but anyway i was fully ready to give this movie a five a straight five because coming out with a five be, just because it was so I didn't understand it it was so slow and I just it just wasn't doing it for me but then as I started thinking about it and I started uh, kind of processing the imagery that I'd seen and like you said I mean I'm not gonna lie I love the severed head that was so cool and a lot of the uh the, the effects that were done and the atmosphere I I bumped it up to a six <laughs> After talking about it, I'm going to go to seven, maybe seven and a half, but at least I'm going to stick it a seven right now. Give me those tenth of a rating. Remember we talked about last week? I know. Week? I, be, seven point. We, we got we to go in hard. 7.35. Always giving doubled. I'm going way specific here. Okay. I just upped my scale to a thousand. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I love the specificity. A um, couple quick trivia notes and then a couple ratings and then I'll jump into it. Uh, had a lot of he had a hard time getting the film financed. Um, I can't imagine why. <laughs> he he ended up going through AFI because he received a grant as he was a student there. And then at one point, Terrence Malick screened the film for a potential financial backer, who walked out calling the movie bullshit. <laughs> I saw that and it made me so happy. I think that's funny because there's so always something fun about the idea that whoever that financial backer might be now. Could have been like, man, I could have really right, got on the right. David Lynch train. It's like the the dude who missed out on Apple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the film was created in piecemeal fashion over five years. That's pretty crazy. I heard seven years from from script to the end of post. It says 
it could be, but the, the facts that I'm reading, they're the uh, research, I said, not the research, the trivia that I'm reading, uh, says through all five years, and that's crazy, by the way. We talked about this last week. This is what I love about these filmmakers. You have following from Nolan. Took him a year to film. Right. This took a year and a half plus whatever, or five years or seven years, however long it ended up being, the drawn-out shooting schedule, right, with like 18 months between potential scenes on some of this one is what it says. It says, two years in, cinematographer Herbert Cardwell, who was 35, died in his sleep. Oh, God. And then so it took months to find a new cinematographer, find the money, the whole deal. To be able to get the actors to stay on board for that long is pretty incredible. And you never know that it was made over a long period right, of time. Right. Talked about this, the seamlessness of it. Like It's really good. His, his you know, Henry's character is like, well, it looks seamless the whole way through. I did read that he kept that hairstyle the entire production. This guy seems like a, a great actor who's like totally devoted to his work. Seriously, uh, all he asked for as far as to keep him entertained uh, during his downtime was just a chair in a room. That's it, it, that's so almost in character. It's almost that's, like method acting. That's method acting. That's crazy. One thing I, I love about the film, and I always have loved this about films that do it, and I know why most films don't, no opening credits. Yeah. <laughs> no opening credits. I like it. Now, I know that's an Academy re uh, requirement, so people do it because they want to be recognized. Right. But he doesn't do it. David Lynch doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about no, anything. He doesn't care. The film screened at the Filmex Film Festival in Los Angeles, originally in 1977. And on the opening night, it only had about 25 people. And it was a midnight screening, right? So very small screening, very little. Uh, now, what's crazy about that is that was the first time it screened. Then it kept screening. So for, it literally ran for 99 weeks at New York's Waverly oh Cinema. Oh, my God. Had a year-long midnight run at San Francisco's Roxy Theater and achieved a three-year tenure at Los Angeles's Newark Theater between 78 and 81. you got to be kidding me. So these me. art house theaters, it ran for on one year, two years, three years. 99 That's weeks. That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. I, there just must have been a lot of demand to see this thing, for people in the know at least. I mean, the art house culture... And the art house niche for sure, right? Swiss surrealist H.R. Geiger cited this as one of the greatest films he's ever seen. I wonder why. And then, uh, and then Lynch said he wouldn't work with him because he he said that Geiger stole his work, stole his ideas. Yeah, on Dune. When, <laughs> yeah, when, on Dune. When, when which Dune is a fun movie, by the way. I've never seen it. It's good. Is it? Yeah. This is kind of an interesting technical one, and since you're a sound file. Cine, what do they call it? Sound, you love audio sound? file. Audio file, that's the word I was looking for. During production, Lynch began experimenting with a technique of recording dialogue that had been spoken phonetically backwards and reversing the resulting audio. That's a Twin Peaks thing, right? Yeah, it's cool, huh? Yeah, really cool. I don't know, he, he definitely uses it later. Although the technique was not used in this film, he did return to it for uh, Twin Peaks on episode 1.3. That's just a cool technique. That's why. I love him too is because he's not only an artist in the sense of how he's trying to structure imagery, but like technical, right? Like the technical, right. uh, it enhances the art. You know what I mean? He's good at it. I love it. 
Now, here's one, and we talked about this before at the beginning. Stanley Kubrick made the cast of The Shining. Yeah, we did a podcast on The Shining. Yeah, we did. Every podcast is connected in some way. Stanley Kubrick made the cast of The Shining. Watch this film to get in the mood for filming a horror picture. See, would you call it a horror? I mean, I understand atmosphere-wise. Yeah, it falls into that category, if not subcategory. Right, right. Yeah. There's a little bit of Cronenberg in here, too. Yeah. Yeah, there is. There is no dialogue for the first ten and a half minutes of this movie. There's not a lot of dialogue in this thing at all. Or the last 20 to 30 minutes. Probably partly why it's, it, it, it's, it's slow at times. Or feels slow. I, you know, and you say that, and I get it, but I never really felt, it never felt slow to me. In the sense that I was bored or uninterested in what was going on. It didn't. It didn't for me. I just think a lot. A lot of it was just drawn out. It just took its time unnecessarily. And I. I know that's kind of. That's what happened back then. And nowadays we have shorter attention span. But still, it's just. Especially that opening scene. Maybe that put me off for the whole the whole movie. But man, that opening scene just goes on and on and on. And there's just a bunch of that stuff in there. And then lastly, and then we'll get into uh, the rating uh, from Rotten Tomatoes. In 2004, the film was preserved in the National Film Registry uh, for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Do you imagine years, decades and decades and centuries from now when when people go back and look at some of the historically important films of our era yeah. and they, they get to erase her head. <laughs> yep. Well, that's holy it'll shit. It'll be the same for them as it was for us pre eraser head and post. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You'll never be the same. Never be the same. Rod tomatoes, tomato meter, uh, for the critics, 90%. Doesn't, does not surprise me a bit. Audience score 83%. So it doesn't really surprise me either. Yeah. That's probably where you would almost imagine it. I can tell you what after it debuted. Okay, uh, and this is straight from w- Wikipedia. Yeah. But after it debuted, uh, Variety offered a negative re- review, calling it a sickening bad taste exercise. The review expressed incredulity, incredulity uh, over the film's long gestation and described its finale as unwatchable. Did they retract it? I would imagine they probably did. I feel like sometimes the they end up, you know, retracting it. I don't think they should do that. I don't understand that, though. The retraction? Because y- you either like it or you don't. Like, I don't understand when you give something a an overwhelming negative review and then you retract it and be like, oh, just kidding, it was great. But we talked about that before, and I can't, I know a few of them had that, and I don't remember which ones off the top of my head. I know Roger Ebert Where had Roger Ebert right. had retracted some of his. So... Um, but he, by the way, Roger. Speaking of Roger e, Roger Ebert, he said, uh, "Defying explanation, the brilliance of David Lynch's Eraserhead." He actually liked it. Looking at David Lynch's body of work, starting out here and then moving forward into other films, you get forty. Got the Elephant Man um, later on, which which still is crazy that uh, everybody approached him. What what I find another piece of trivia that's interesting is that a lot of producers and directors and Hollywood filmmakers approached him to, to collaborate. Yeah. Uh, they were so uh, taken back by this movie. Uh, Lynch was offered Return of the Jedi by George Lucas. I, I did read that. Isn't that, and he turned it down. He turned it down. Can you imagine 
Return of the Jedi directed by David Lynch. I kind of want to see it. It's, I know I do too, but it's like the third. It's you the know. climax of the trilogy, right? Like it's 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 this is it. We're gonna figure out everything. Everything's gonna be answered and solved. And David Lynch goes all Lynch on it. It's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! It'd be more backlash than Ryan Johnson. <laughs> I liked Last Jedi. I loved it. I love Last Jedi, but man, people did not like that movie. What I love about Lynch is that he's a filmmaker f- through and through did tons of short films leading up to this film, a good dozen, half a dozen, I should say, got into a racer head, did the elephant man, did Dune, did a movie called blue velvet with Dennis Hopper. Have you seen blue velvet? I haven't. It's going to take you down the Lynch ride. Good. The, the Lynch mobile. Uh, I, right now I'm going to go right through his whole entire catalog chronologically. I think that's fair. I haven't seen all his stuff, but I've seen blue velvet, which I loved. I've seen Dune, which is fun. It's not. It's it's more of a uh, popularized movie sure. or blockbuster type film. Sure. Uh, but with a Lynch. Well, Lynch, it's based on the Lynchonian. Good. Sprinkle. That, that's all I want. I just need a little sprinkle. Um, How about Lost Ho- Highway? Have you seen that? I haven't seen Lost Highway. Uh, and the next one follow up to that, well, the ones that I've seen was Mulholland Drive. What did you think of that? I loved Mulholland Drive. I uh, that one I need to go back because I still don't understand that the left turn. I don't understand when the I moved to L.A. Oh, you got to watch Mulholland Drive. I, I had I watched Mulholland Drive, and our school was like two miles away. Yeah, so I just drove Mulholland Drive. <laughs> of course, of course. But I was thinking of Lynch the whole time. Oh, of course, absolutely. Um, and then from that point on, from Mulholland Drive. He's done a lot, a lot of. Well, this is why I say he's a filmmaker at heart, because mm-hmm. every he's done tons of short films since then, which I'm intrigued to go find and watch. I haven't seen him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Tons and tons of short, tons of short films, like every year, just pumping out short films. Interesting. Like, Where's he releasing these? Uh, they've got to be somewhere, and I'm gonna find them because they look amazing. Of course, he did Twin Peaks, and then he did the 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 new TV series that came out uh, uh, in 2017. And he's uh he's act he acted in that one too, right? I believe so. I think uh, yeah. I saw some stills of him playing yeah. an FBI agent. He's he's always in him too. He was in the originals too, uh, back in 1990. This is kind of re-sparked. I was fascinated by Mulholland Drive, but looking at all his body of work here, like there's so much to go back and try to find short films. I gotta find some of these. Uh, intrigued by this film, Alan. I gotta say, um, and the more we've kind of been breaking it down, the more and more I start looking at. F- it lynches a true, not only uh, auteur, but also master filmmaker in, in, in every sense of the word. Um, I enjoyed the movie. I thought that I was, unlike you, I wasn't really ever bored or, or kind of the long pacing didn't get to me. Um, the obscurity made it intriguing. The uncertainty, as we've been talking about it, I've feel like I'm getting a little bit better grasp on it if that's even possible for sure I'm gonna come in with a rating I'm gonna come in pretty high on it I'm gonna come in pretty high on it because you can't if you can define a movie like we just did in the in the in the JC format Mm -hmm. the pre-post the before Lynch right after Lynch right do you know what I mean uh or before Eraserhead after Eraserhead 
then it has to have an impactful score because it's unlike anything you've ever seen. I agree. 40 plus years later, and it's still like, and I've watched a lot of movies. I know you've watched a lot of movies. It's unlike anything I've never ever seen. Never seen anything seen. like it. I, I've never even felt like I'm seeing something similar. Like, you, you know, sometimes when you see disturbing things, you get that same feeling uh even if it's across multiple genres or multiple movies i've never felt anything like that when i'm watching this yeah the only thing that i can even i wouldn't even call it in the same it's not the the only thing i can even think of in in a sense of the abstract nature Mm -hmm. but still maybe having a little bit of story is ingmar bergman's persona never seen it it's a film called Persona, 1966, Ingmar Burton. But I literally mean for a movie to be a before and after feeling and carry with it uh, interest and intrigue, and as we talk about it, start to grow the appreciation of it. Because we can watch uh, Play Misty for me. We're not going to increase our appreciation for it. Right. We're going to probably stay pretty neutral on our rating. Do you know what I mean? For sure. It is what it is. Here's our rating. And- Discussing it won't really change that. This film, like a few others, our rating is going to change as we discuss it and really break into it. Definitely. And analyze it. Definitely. So I'm going to come in uh, pretty high. I'm going to go 8.7. Ooh, nice. 8.7 for for Eraserhead. Have you given a 10 yet? 110. 110. What was it for? 110. Modern film. Modern filmmaker. Playwright Martin McDonough in Bruges. Oh yeah, because it's I can watch one of my it over fa- one and of my over favorite and movies over of all time. It's a film I can rewatch over and over and yeah. over and over. I, I, in fact, I remember when you were telling me that you were doing this podcast, you told me you'd done in Bruges, and that was I was immediately hooked because that that movie is is one of my all time favorites. We'll have to do in Bruges the sequel. That's oh, how yeah. much I love it's it. It's so good. It's so good. That's a movie I could just go on and on about. I and that's why we'll do a sequel on it. For sure. For sure. This is uh yeah, a racer head, eight point seven. You're coming in at a seven point three five. Seven point three five. So double digit. <laughs> that's right. Decimals. You're gonna make this as complicated as possible. Look, go watch uh it's now incentivized us to go watch David Lynch's other work that we haven't seen. Uh high regard, high respect for Lynch. Love the movie. Go watch it. You'll be completely disturbed and in awe at the same time. This is uh, Gabe and Allen with the Tame Aperture podcast. Go ahead and check us out at www.tameaperture.com. We're on all streaming platforms. Leave us a note. Uh, get in touch with us. Let us know what we should be watching. Join our community. I kind of, by the way, Alan, as, a, as an outro, one thing I want to say is like, I see this film, this podcast as almost like a book club. So a book club is like, Everybody gets together, reads the same book, and talks about it. This is a digital format of that. If you have suggestions on what we can watch, what we can talk about, join the community, and let's let's watch movies together and talk about them. This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Go check us out. This is Gabe and Alan signing off. Thanks, everybody. Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.